I'm a guy that does not like surprises. I don't like practical jokes. I don't like when people jump around the corner and try to startle you. I'm just I'm just not a surprise kind of person. I'm a planner. You know, I I don't like things to come out of nowhere. I like to plan ahead. I like to to know what's going to happen next, and I like to be able to set things in motion to prepare for those things, even if they're not good things or happy things, at least if I know they're coming, then we can plan for them. And a few years ago, we had a series of surprises. Some unexpected things came into our life that really turned us upside down. That my wife had been having some health concerns and we went to a specialty clinic and got the surprise that she had cancer. And all of the things, the surgeries and procedures that went along with that. And in the midst of that, we had surprises in our financial obligations and the time that we would have to take off of work and away from um, my wife homeschools our girls and all the adjustments that it would mean for that. And then after that, when that kind of started working its way through, we got the surprise of finding out that the school that we were both working at was not going to renew our contracts and we were both unemployed. And all of these surprises started coming. And I tell you, I don't like surprises. And I remember in that season, just being full of of fear. I was afraid that my wife would die. Afraid that my children would lose their mother. Afraid that we wouldn't be able to pay for her treatments and for, you know, for the, for the expenses that came along with that. Afraid that, that my, our careers would take a hit because you know the jobs that we had paid pretty well that were very difficult to come by in our area and just all of this fear and this overwhelming weight and I remember in the middle of it just in one of those days where it seemed like everything was falling apart my wife just held my hand and she looked at me and she said it's okay God's in control and I remember in that moment being comforted by that but also wishing so hard that I had that kind of faith because I was so full of fear. And today that's what we're going to look at is how do we find faith in our fear? How do we find trust in God when our lives are falling apart and things are coming apart at the seams and nothing is working out the way it's supposed to? How do we find faith and trust in God when everything is confusing and nothing makes sense. So the good news is we're not the first people to go through seasons that cause us this fear. That all throughout scripture we see tons of examples of what happens when people go through the tough times in life and they find trust in God, that God proves his faithfulness. And we're going to be looking in 1 Kings chapter 17 today, 1 Kings 17. And I encourage you to turn there in your scripture. And as we go to this portion of scripture, man, I sound like a broken record, I know, but we always want to read the Bible in context. And the context of 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles and the book of Judges is that Israel has this cycle that they go through that has five parts to it and all throughout its history the nation of Israel goes through the same five five steps in this cycle until we see the coming of the new covenant in Jesus and so it starts off with God gives Israel this mighty blessing 
gives them prosperity, gives them a promised land, gives them victories and military and, and, and success and, and prosperity and all these things. God just blesses Israel. And then immediately following that, we see that Israel gets comfortable in God's blessing. They, they, they experience prosperity, they experience health, their nation grows, they find peace and security. And after that comfort time comes, there's a time where Israel falls away from God. They drift away, they worship other gods, they become content, and they stop seeking after the one true God for their sustenance, for their provision. And during this time of falling away, God allows crisis events to come into the life of Israel and the kingdom of Israel. And this crisis event always causes Israel to repent to come back to God, and then the cycle starts over again with God blessing them once again. And so over and over we see God's blessing, the Israelites getting comfortable, they fall away, a crisis event happens, and they repent. And over and over and over again this happens. And during this period in 1 Kings chapter 17, we find the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, that once Israel was a unified kingdom, but eventually they split into two parts, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And in the ninth century BC, we see that each of these kingdoms, Israel's new kingdom or new capital in their kingdom is Samaria. And the southern kingdom of of Judah is where Jerusalem is. And in the middle of all this, God raises up a prophet named Elijah, known as the man of God. And Elijah lived from approximately 900 B.C. to 849 B.C. And Elijah's his, prophecies and his ministry were all centered around leading Israel away from the false pagan gods the Baals, right? Uh, and back to God. Now, we use the word Baal or Baal if, to re- refer to many different gods because the word Baal is literally means God. And so it can refer to one of many smaller gods of the different nations that Israel conquered and the Canaanites uh, and the other and the Philistines and all these other, you know, uh, pagan nations that once occupied the promised land and after God gave that promised land to Israel that the nations that surrounded Israel practiced these pagan worships of these gods and it can also refer to one single god named Baal and so it can get a little confusing as you read the scripture but these the worship of these gods was very tempting to the Israelites because to follow Yahweh the one true God was complicated. In the law of Moses, there were 613 laws, and there were all of these traditions and festivals and procedures that that were required for Israelites to come to God and to get right with Him, to to get forgiveness and receive forgiveness of their sin, and to be experience atonement and be made right with God again. It was complicated. It was a process. It meant traveling. And if you were supposed to travel, if you could, to Jerusalem, but because of the division, uh, they offered they, they would offer sacrifices in Samaria, in the in the northern kingdom. And so, but to offer sacrifices, man, that that was your livelihood. Your livestock was was your your money. 
And so what we see is that Israel, you know, in order to worship God, man, it took a lot. You would have to travel. You'd have to leave your home. You'd have to shut down your businesses. You'd have to pack up your family, leave your home. And back then there weren't security systems unless you were super wealthy and could pay, you know, like, like a, a governor or a ruler to have a guard that protected your property. You were leaving your business. You were leaving your homes and people could rob you. People could take your things. And so to go to offer sacrifices to Yahweh, the one true God, was, was not an easy or a comfortable thing. But to worship the Baals, you know, Baal and Asherah and Moloch and all of these other pagan gods, the Baals, were, were, were very easy. They were accessible. Every high hill would have a shrine dedicated. All these green areas in the desert would be places to worship these gods. And worshiping the Baals was very, was very comfortable. It was a party. It was a, it was a festival and a festivity. And many of these gods to worship them involved uh, sexual activity. And so this was something that was very alluring. It was very tempting for Israel to stop worshiping the one true God that was so complicated and so hard and so expensive to worship and to go to these local areas. Because if you've been in the Middle East, especially in Israel and the area of Jordan where the events of the, of the Bible take place, there are hills all over the place. You know, hills and valleys everywhere. And yes, they're the big ones like Mount Sinai and Mount Carmel, these kind of places. But the, even these smaller hills, every high area would have a shrine or a place to worship the Baals. And, and they would do all these festivals and parties. And it was so, you know, entertaining and fun and, and, and pleasurable to worship these false gods that it was very tempting for Israel to be led astray worshiping these false gods instead of the one true God. And so God used Elijah to do this, to, to bring Israel away from the pagan gods and back to the one true God. Now, during this time, there was a very evil king during the, the life of Elijah named King Ahab. And King Ahab was a wicked man, but he was made even more wicked by his wife Jezebel. And this, is, this woman Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, was the reason why you don't see kids named Jezebel today. Because to be a Jezebel is to be an evil person. Right, And so in the process of all of this, Elijah has, and if you read through this section of, of 1 Kings, you'll see that, uh, that God raises up Elijah, and Elijah does a contest on Mount Carmel with all of the priests of Baal. And God shows up in a mighty way that, that he calls down fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice in just this miraculous, amazing way, and leads the people back to God. But in the process, Queen Jezebel you know, wants to take Elijah's life and Elijah flees for his life. But in the process of during this time, God gives Elijah the ability to shut the heavens so that it would not rain. And Israel goes through a drought that lasted three and a half years. Now, the Middle East is dry and desert to start with. There are patches of oasis. There are areas close to the, to the seas and the waterways that, that are very lush and have you know, areas where you can grow crops. But, but that's because the rainy season comes in the uh, winter every year. Around the end of December, beginning of January is the rainy season in the Middle East. And people depend on this rainy season to, to, to cause the, the waters to flood and the rivers and the, to, to cause this fertile ground to come during the dry season so they can farm their crops. Well, if there's no rainy season for three and a half years, there's no fertile soil to grow crops in. And things are withering and dying and there's no food 
to be had. And so, as we go through the, this time, Elijah flees the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and he goes to the outskirts, and he lives by the Kirith Brook. And what we see is that during this time, God miraculously provides for Elijah while he's in hiding, you know, running for his life. And he has water from the brook, and he has food brought to him by birds. But eventually, all of that goes away. The birds quit coming, and the brook dries up because of the drought. And Elijah has all of these surprises, right? That, that he expected God to provide for him, but instead he's running for his life in fear. He gets used to God providing for him in this wilderness area, and then the water dries up and the food goes away. And so Elijah has all of these other worries. And then in 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 8, we see where God speaks to Elijah and tells him this. So starting in verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Now, that sounds really cool until you look at a map. And I encourage you to look at a map of the 9th century B.C. area of Israel and Judah. The Kirith Brook is in the area of Ammon, in the, in the, the kingdom of Ammon where the Ammonites lived, and where modern-day Ammon is in Jordan. And it's a branch of the Jordan River that Elijah was hiding in. Now, one of the neat things is that this is very close to Elijah's hometown. And so this would have been a, a, a comfortable area. This would have been a well-known area for Elijah to hide and, and while he's you know, in fear of what King Ahab and Queen Jezebel want to take his life. But if you look at a map, God is telling Elijah to go to the nation of Zarephath, which is above Israel. Now, Elijah has a couple of different options. He can go up into the northern kingdoms in the Assyrian Empire and risk his life there because the Assyrians hated the Jews, the Israelites. Or he can go through the kingdom of Israel where he's a wanted man. He's a, he's a, he's a, a fugitive hiding for his life to get to the town of Zarephath, the area of that, and so uh, and the, near the city of, of, of Sidon. And so when we look at the life of Elijah and how he's running for his life, he's a fugitive. We see first, man, faith creates focus during a crisis. That when we go through a crisis moment in our life, we become very fixated, whether it's losing a job, whether it's a health fear, whether, you know, scare, whether it's you know, a, a military deployment, we get focused during this time. All of a sudden, during these periods of life, the other things of life kind of lose their importance. They kind of fall off to the side. All of a sudden, when, when I was worried about my wife dying, all of a sudden, I wasn't as concerned about the messy house that, that my kids had made because kids make messy houses. I, I wasn't worried about planning for the future or, or you know, traveling you know, to the world. I, I just wanted to enjoy today. In time periods where I've lost my job, I wasn't worried about you know all these extra things. All of a sudden, I was just worried about getting another job and, and, and paying for our bills and providing for our family. Faith creates focus. <laughs> Elijah in this moment was just trying to survive, to stay alive, because it looks it seemed like if you if you're in his shoes, man, he's he's you know doing this is kind of you know secret agent kind of stuff, having to sneak behind enemy lines to get to where God is calling him to go. And this creates a singular focus for Elijah. He has to simply get 
to the village of Zarephath. That's all he has to worry about. His mission is to leave where he is and go to the village. But look at what happens. And so he sneaks through and, and finally gets to Zarephath. And in verse 10 it says, So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water and a cup? Now can you imagine? Elijah has to be feeling so relieved. He made it. that God has promised him that this widow was going to provide for him. And so he shows up and he's got to just feel all this flood of relief. This is the woman that's going to take care of me. God has put her in my path and everything is going to be okay. And he says, hey, would you bring me some water? And I'm sure that's an understatement. During my time in the Middle East, man, it's dry. It's hot. It's not fun to walk across the desert, you know, and much less hiding as a fugitive to get to this area. And so now that he's finally made it, he wants some water. And it says, as she was going to get it, he called out to her, bring me a bite of bread too. (laughs) I'm sure after all of this running for his life, Elijah is tired. Elijah is thirsty. Elijah is hungry. And now he finally feels like he can relax. But look at what happens in verse 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, because remember, this is not in the nation of Israel still. So these are these are people that worship pagan gods. And so he said, the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Now can you imagine being in Elijah's sandals right now. God had promised him this widow would provide for him, that she would take care of him. And here he shows up, and she's about to die. There's no food in her house. And she said she's going to make this one last meal, and then she and her son are going to (laughs) die. This is the craziness of life. God makes a promise, and man, we have have all of these expectations and all of these beliefs about how God's going to do things our way. But God always does things his way. And I just marvel at the faith of Elijah. Look at what he says in verse 13. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. So first we see that during a crisis that our faith it becomes that we have a focus during a crisis, right? We, Elijah's just focused on survival. So first we see that our, we, that our focus grows during a crisis, but we also see that our faith grows during a crisis. You see, when life is easy, we don't have to have a whole lot of trust in God. When there's food in the cabinets, I don't have to truly pray that God would provide my daily bread. When there's money in the bank, I don't truly have to trust God for my provision. When my health is good and life is going well, I don't try to truly have to trust God to be my sustainer. But man, when a crisis comes, we cry out to God and we have to trust Him. When all else fails and everything else has, has, has gone away, we have nothing left but to grow our faith and like watch God show up. Look at what Elijah goes on to say in verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Now remember, he's bringing it back because she's a pagan, right? She's not worshiping the one true God. He says, look, Yahweh, the the God of Israel, says, There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. 
the faith of Elijah that God would keep his word. Now, you and I may not get prophetic messages like Elijah did. We may not climb up a mountain or go into a tabernacle and meet face to face with God like like Moses did. But you and I get to read the word of God every time we open the scriptures. And we have to trust in the word of God that God is going to keep his promises. And our faith grows during the time of crisis. Elijah recognized that God had given his promise. And even though it probably wasn't what he thought he was going to get, that did not shake Elijah's faith. His earthly circumstances did not shake his faith in his heavenly provider. Because you can take this to the bank, man. Pastor Mark Brady said this, that wherever God gives vision, he will always give provision. Wherever God gives vision, he will always give provision. And God had directed Elijah to go to this village and had promised him this widow would provide for him. He had a message from God that the oil and the flour would never run out until God decided it was time for the drought to end. And this is where not only do we see that that our faith grows during a crisis and that our focus gets, you know, our, our life gets focused during a crisis, now we see that faith requires action during a crisis. You see, it's one thing for Elijah to tell her the word of God. The woman had to actually act on it. You see, that's the that's half the problem. <laughs> you see, we, we're, it's easy to be listeners of God's word. If you show up on Sunday or Wednesday to a revival, to a Bible study, or you, or you do your own Bible study and devotions at home, we listen to God's word, right? We, but we have to hear it. I'm sorry, we hear it, but we have to be listeners as well. And those two things sound like they're the same thing, but you can hear something and not follow it. In the, in the letter that James wrote to the church, in the book of James, he says, we don't have to just be hearers of the word, we have to be doers of the word. And that's what we're talking about here. That's why Jesus would say things like, those who have ears, let them listen. Jesus wasn't picking on people that didn't have ears. He was saying that you don't need to just hear the words, you need to do it as well. And this is what we see in verse 15. And so she did as Elijah said. She had to put action to her faith. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Now we don't know how long this many days was. We don't know if it was days, weeks, months, years. We're not sure. We know that the the drought lasted three and a half years. And all the while, every time they went to go to make a meal, they were going to have to trust that God was going to provide. And look at what it says. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You see, in times of crisis, it can cause us to focus on what matters most. Times of crisis can cause our faith to grow. And times of crisis always cause us to have to act on what God's calling us to do. You see, God loves to partner with people. Yes, God does miracles. But in order for them to be enacted, we have to do our part too. And that's what happened. That every day the woman got up in faith and found that there was enough olive oil and there was enough flour left for that meal. Every time they went to eat, there was olive oil and flour to make bread for them. And this is where we see, finally, we see that our faith shows God's provision during a crisis. Faith shows God's provision. That God promised Elijah that the the widow would provide for him, and God kept his promise. God provided during the crisis. 
praise God, my wife is cancer-free now. And it took surgeries and it took procedures and follow-up care, but she's cancer-free. That job that I lost, that job that my wife lost, God provided better than where we left. As much as we loved those jobs and the people we worked with, God opened doors that we would never have expected. The same thing happened with Elijah and this widow. They trusted God and God kept his word all those years. Faith always shows God's provision during a crisis. And so this is our big truth for today, that even when I am fearful, God is faithful. When I am fearful, God is faithful. That every time I come to God in the middle of my fears and my worries and my anxieties, God is always constant. He never changes. And he's always faithful to keep his promises. When I am fearful, God is faithful. I love this passage. It's familiar. I'm sure you've heard it. In 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John writes to the churches that he was a bishop over, that he shepherded over. It says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is fear for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, when we read that passage, we like the part where it says, I know my God will supply all my needs, right? According to his riches in Jesus, right? Which have been given to us in Jesus. But we can't just play Bible Buffet and take the verses we like. Right before it talks about, John talks to the church about experiencing God's provision. He talks about how before we can do that, we have to experience God's perfect love. Because God's perfect love gets rid of fear. You see, when I believe that God loves me, I'm not afraid. It gets rid of my fear because I can trust in Him. When I'm reminded of God's faithfulness in the past, it gets rid of my fear. That's why David could face Goliath without fear. Because if you read that passage, David tells King Saul that God was faithful when I was protecting my sheep from the lion. And God was faithful when I protected my sheep from the bear. And he says, the same God that gave me the strength to defeat the lion and defeat the bear will give me the strength to defeat this giant, this pagan Philistine. You see, when we remember God's faithfulness, it expels our fear. Why? Because God has perfect love for us. Perfect love gets rid of fear. Perfect love is trust in God. You see, when I am fearful, God is faithful. I want to ask you today, as we wrap up our time together, what has your focus? Are you focused on your fear? Are you focused on what's missing? Are you focused on the problem that's ahead of you? Or are you focused on the God who's going to provide for you? Now, I'm not going to guarantee you that it's going to work out exactly the way you want it to. But it is going to work out ultimately for your good. That's the promise that God gave us through Paul in the book of Romans. He said that God causes all things to work together for good. Not that all things are good, but he causes them to work together for our good. So what has your focus today? Are you focused on your fear? Are you focused on the God that gives you perfect love? Whom are you trusting for your provision? Are you looking to yourself? Are you looking to earthly means 
of your finances, of your skills, of your of, of, of the things that have been provided for you in life? Are you looking to the God that gives all of those things? Who are you trusting for your provision today? And I want to ask you this. Do you truly believe that God loves you? Because if we truly believe that the God of the universe loves us, then we can trust him. We can put our hope in him and be confident in him because he's faithful. He's never let us down in the past. And we can have faith to believe that he's going to continue to do that in the future. So I want to ask you all of these things today, hoping that you'll take a moment to ask yourself, where's my focus? What am I trusting in? And what do I believe about what God says? Because if I believe that God is who he says he is, then I'm going to trust him. I'm going to bask in his perfect love that's going to cast out all my fear. And I'm going to find faith in the middle of my fear. Because even when I'm fearful, God is still faithful. Let's pray together. King Jesus, I pray for the men and women that are listening to the sound of my voice today. And I pray that you would help them to be reminded, to help me to be reminded that you're faithful. As I look over my life, I see your hand and your mercy and your faithfulness that you've always shown up at just the right time. You've always done just the right thing. And you've always worked out even the bad things in my life pains and the fears and the and the loss you've always worked those for my good so god help us today to remember that even when we are fearful that you are faithful and that you will ultimately be our provision no matter what the world says no matter what our life says that even when we are fearful god you are faithful amen be blessed this week